Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast or one of the hosts thinks the Browns should stick with PJ Walker because he likes anything associated with walks. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined on this this week in which um, a recurring character in the NFL universe of the last few years. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about someone who's very important to recent NFL history might be starting for the aforementioned Cleveland Browns. Uh, so naturally, I had to bring in a, cu- a quarterback expert to discuss this great development, but also some very exciting uh, games this week. Uh, one that's really, really exciting. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Colts Titans. Uh, Steven Ruiz, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. I was joking with uh, our friend Charles McDonald earlier in the week. I was like, the best way to get podcast spots is to be a fan of a really crappy team that fires its coach all the time and to do quarterback rankings that nobody likes. <laughs> Uh, the Panthers, you're a fan of the Panthers. I don't know if you've, have you been asked a lot about the, the, the Frank Reich firing? Yeah, I've been making the the rounds on the pods, kind of just, (laughs) just verbalizing the misery that is being a Panthers fan. Um, well, we already talked about that. Dominique and I talked about the Panthers stuff earlier this week. We will not be talking about the Panthers today. I sent you a number of games. Um, the game that I was talking we are actually talking about Colts Titans because suddenly it's relevant and kind of interesting. I actually I, I haven't talked about either of those teams and I, and I really want to talk about the Colts in particular, which is a sentence that I'm sure they, this might be the only podcast uh, not Colts affiliated saying right now. Um, but the game that I was alluding to was Niners Eagles, which feels like an inevitable preview of the NFC championship at this point. Yeah, and I also feel like it's unfinished business. I went back and watched the, yeah. the conference title game. Ooh. I did not remember how quickly into that game that Brock Purdy went down. Yeah, It was the fifth play of the first drive. He only had attempted like two passes. I, I, I get Eagles fans kind of pushing back against the notion that it was – it wasn't like a fair result and that like things would have changed because I do think the Eagles win that game either way. But we barely saw any of this matchup, matchup play out on the field. And yeah, I, I really do. I just thought like the energy they had, especially the defensive line. I don't yeah. see any team kind of competing with that. When that Philly uh, defensive line is on its A game, it's tough. Do you feel like that now? Let's let's get into that game. Let's just start off right away with the biggest game of the week. We are going to talk about the Browns, by the way. So Browns fans don't go anywhere. I wasn't joking. Um, and hopefully by the time we talk about them, there'll be even more clarity on the quarterback situation. Uh, but let, let, yeah, Niners Eagles, like, do you feel the same, the same way that you felt? Because these teams have changed a fair amount since then, which we can get into in interesting ways for better and for worse, I think on both sides. Do you still feel that way about that Eagles pass rush, that four man rush that had the most sacks in the NFL that was just on fire in the playoffs? Do you think they're going to cause the same types of problems for the San Francisco 49ers? No, I, I, I don't. I think the the 49ers offense has changed enough where they kind of protect against the things that left them, I don't know, vulnerable to that pass rush last year in that matchup. I don't think they're as reliant on play action as they have been in the past, which well, is where you see like a tight end on Hassan Reddick and you don't know why that happened. I, I also think this is a big Brock Purdy game. I think this is a big Brock Purdy game more than I thought like those three games when he threw the interceptions I think we're going to see how far he's come in the areas that he gets the most credit for this year. I think like where he's grown the most from last year is pocket presence and I would say anticipation and timing. 
And those are three things you have to have when you go up against this defense. And like early on in that game, you could kind of see him be that rookie who who couldn't find space in the pocket. And that's kind of the reason why he got hit by, by Riddick. And if he has a, a, a totally different game, it's going to get harder for me and people like you to continue discrediting him. Don't put me. I will say this. <laughs> I, uh, hey, I have some text messages. Like, you sent me some texts. But anyway, uh, I do think he's improved this year. I think he's yeah. improved over the last month. And I think this is the game where you would see it. And it's it's the game where it's going to be the easiest to appreciate the changes that he has made. Yeah, Brock Purdy... Uh, I do think he's better. And I think you hit on one of the areas in which he has improved the most is that at the end of last season, he did bail on some relatively clean pockets and a lot of his bad decision-making would flow from that. And you see him sticking with it longer. He looks more comfortable navigating pressure. Um, And that's when you try to figure out what the weaknesses are of the San Francisco 49ers offense. This is, by the way, how I approach all Niners games is just try to figure out their weaknesses because they're such a dominant team. So Niners fans, if you're listening to this, the analysis comes from the place of the presumption of dominance. Like you're such a complete team on both sides of the football. Whenever Mm -hmm. I go into a game with the Niners and I'm looking at matchups, I'm just like, how can you possibly attack this team? So we'll get to the other side of the ball, but offensively Purdy, like when you start pulling apart his splits, they're, they're they're so good at everything. I've mentioned third down. That's obvious. It's a Shanahan offense. That's that goes beyond Brock Purdy. Almost every quarterback in this type of offense, the offenses tend to be works on third down. You can look at Miami, for example, which is obviously a buzz on offense. So there's that. Um, And then, you know, his numbers do fall off outside the pocket as much as he is a better creator than, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo. Most quarterbacks are better creators than Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, He is at his best inside the pocket. The problem, and this goes back to what we were just discussing, is he is fleeing it less. So I think for Philadelphia, um, the question becomes, is there any way, whether it's through your pass rush, your different pressures, look, they've been using uh, a greater variety of pressures this year, and, and, and I think they're timing it differently with the new defensive coordinator. Can you create pressure and muddy the pocket for him uh, in a way that's not just we're going to line up and beat you guys? Yeah, I think that's the key, and I think that's one of the reasons why – I'd say they they went for a different hire, a different type of hire when they did hire a defensive coordinator. I don't see this as a Jonathan Gannon defense as much. I do think mm-hmm. there's a little more bait and switch to it, uh, pre-snap and post-snap, which is something that yeah. they really needed. I think that was the main criticism of Gannon last year. And I think that's the case on both sides of the ball is like you can't line up and play and expect to win the, the rep. That's just something you can't do because – what you were saying earlier applies to both teams. Like when you find weaknesses in both teams, it's hard because they're so well-rounded. I really think this game comes down to third and short. And Mm. I think that matchup is dictated by what happens on first and second down. Third and short for the 49ers offense is a lot different than third and short for the Eagles offense. So I think, I think the, the play calling advantage is going to be, a bigger factor in this one than it is maybe in other matchups where the Eagles go up against, I would say more proven coaching staffs. Like I would say Sean McDermott, his coaching staff is more proven than Philadelphia's. But if you watch that game, I think Philadelphia looked like they outcoached Buffalo. I don't think it's going to look like that this week. Yeah. Because well, I think the- Kyle Shanahan is going to make it harder. 
it's easier to find weaknesses on the Eagles defense than it is on the Niners offense, which is an all-star team, right? <laughs> when they're healthy, they're all healthy now. So it's back to being an all-star team. The Eagles defense, when you look at them, there are obvious weaknesses. Linebacker is a clear weakness, especially I think Zach Cunningham's going to play. Shaq Leonard was in town. I mean, it's not, that's clearly the weakness on this team. I will say, I thought safety would be a weakness. Shout out Reed Blankenship, because that guy's come in and played really well for them. Yeah, he can play, uh, but uh, they they are the worst team in the NFL at defending tight ends in DVOA. This is obviously not a team that you want to struggle at when it comes to defending tight ends. It is not a team you want to play when linebacker is your weakness. Um, so they're going to have to come up with solutions because you know that Kyle Shanahan is going to use your patented microscope on that position. As far as third and short goes, I think that's what's one thing that I found really interesting about this Eagles defense too. Um, they, like we, the Eagles. We'll get to the Eagles' offense and the way that they're different. The defense has been like actually quite good against the run this year. Um, the big bodies up front, in particular, have been excellent, uh, and have the young guys, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, have been. Well, Jalen Carter came in and played well from the beginning. Jordan Davis really has really impressed me this season. I haven't talked about him much. Obviously, he had the big play. Uh, in the last game, but over the course of the season, you're seeing him play more. I think this is a game where both of those players are really significant, especially on third and short, as you talked about. Yeah. And I think that changes the structures of the defense. Uh, when the 49ers attacked this, this defense last year in the title game, it was really about the run game and it was about countering those. Cause what the Eagles had to do last year to make up for their weakness inside was play a lot of bare fronts, pack yeah. those interior gaps and that made it easier to kind of find answers in the run game. And I think it led to a lot of uh, Christian McCaffrey runs where you got him out to sp- into space, which is where he's most dangerous. And that's when you can create explosive plays. When you can limit that and, and, and stop those explosive plays on the in the ground game, it makes it so much easier to call defense. And I think that's kind of what's working for Sean Desai. The numbers aren't as good, but I trust this defense against good teams more than I did last year. Hmm. They also I think seem- you've... Yeah, I think he, they've they've found answers as games have gone along, and they've gotten better in the second half. That's interesting. Yeah, they they definitely do more different things, both up front. I alluded already to the pressures, and then when it comes to coverages as well. I mean, I again, I've been when like guys have gone down with injuries, missed games, missed quarters, whatever, and decides had to lean on the Eli Rickses of the world. I've been impressed by the play of some of these. Uh, players in the secondary. So, uh, and they, they also think they, they tackle well. I want to say that. And then God knows that's important when you play this football team, the San Francisco. I mean, it, as, as much as we can like nerd out about like, oh, they're no longer running bare fronts as much on, you know, early downs. And, uh, it really often just comes down to can you tackle these players? <laughs> that is extremely important when you play the San Francisco 49ers. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, so the, the the last time I talked about the Niners, I lo- I talked about them very briefly before the Seahawks game. I just said they're going to kill us, and then that was pretty much it, and they did. Uh, but it was it was Stephen. It was during their uh, defensive struggles, the, the the during the losing streak. But it really lasted a little bit longer than that. The defense just kind of didn't look like themselves. So they come back after the bye. Chase Young's in the mix now, um, and obviously they've been dominant since then. Are you buying? that this Niners defense 
has fixed some of the problems we saw? Or do you think the Eagles offense has the potential to expose him? If you would have asked me this question a month ago, I would have said, I think the Eagles offense is going to expose them because their main problem was just defending the run. They were like 28th in EPA against the run. But then I, I think I wrote about it after the Bengals game. That was the game when the Bengals, the the Bengals could never run the football. And the fact that they could run the football was a very big red flag. But then like you look at the numbers and the 49ers run defense was really good on first and second down by the numbers are not really good. That's, that's an exaggeration. It was like around top 10. They were just comically bad at third and short. They have defended 25 third and short runs this year. They have stopped one and it came last week against Geno Smith. One. <laughs> they had a zero percent success rate when I on defense when I uh. looked it up a couple of weeks ago. Now it's up to like five percent thanks to that one stop. And it wasn't even a real running back run. And I think that was just a small sample size thing. Like I don't know, maybe it is an issue. Maybe they're they're Short yardage run defense is bad, but I think that's one of those things. My God, that's Philadelphia's music. Short yardage runs? Come on. I mean. That's the note I have. I'm like, that's the note I have. It's like, if you have a short yardage problem, this is the worst (laughs) team to to play against. That's why I think first and second down are going to be so important for them. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, Yeah, they did. So the run splits are interesting. I had noticed the short yardage stuff. They've really struggled to stop runs in between the tackles. If you start narrowing it down to that, they fall to the bottom of the NFL in both EPA per carry and success. I think they're the second worst on runs between the tackles in both EPA per carry and success rate, uh, which, again, the, the Eagles offense is they run, you know, I mean, it's it's they're obviously very good running the football and they can run in many different ways and run pretty much everywhere. Um, so I think that is to your point first and second down are going to be very important to this team. Uh, th- it's always important when you're playing the Eagles offense for the very obvious reasons that you know they use all four downs and all that. Um, but I think for the San Francisco 49ers in particular, I, you know, I, uh, Chase Young um, has helped the pass rush a great deal already. I think you know, the, the four-man rush looks very good. But as far as the run defense goes, it's really like the guys playing on the inside, Armstead in particular, have to be better. I, the linebackers have looked uh, Warner and Greenlaw more like themselves. Mm-hmm. But again, this, I mean, who could forget, you remember this, Fred Warner in the championship game um, struggling with some of the option stuff, the RPOs that the Eagles were doing. I actually, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about. So um, Eagles fans hate Brian Johnson. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't get it. It's funny because um Let's actually get into that a little bit. Uh, Eagles fans and their general anger. I feel like if I put out a poll on Brian Johnson, it would be overwhelmingly negative amongst Eagles fans. It's funny because if you look at all of the uh, underlying numbers for the Eagles offense, it's basically the same as last year. I think one difference is because they've struggled a little bit in first halves uh, and then they've come back roaring back later. Um from a fan perspective, they've like built up anger as the game <laughs> went on. <laughs> and then by the time you get to the second, I mean, I, I, I do think there's something to it. Like it always felt like Steichen, who we're going to talk about later. He always seemed to know exactly. Um, Cause the Eagles can do so many different things on offense. He always seemed to know exactly what pitch to turn lean on, like versus the particular defenses they were playing. And I, some, you don't really like with this Eagles offense, 
they're, they put together some drives that look as good as ever. I would argue in the Bills game, the final three drives offensively, they looked, aside from the Jason Kelsey fall starts, as dominant and well-called as any you'll see in the last couple of years. Um, but I think with Steichen, it was so... Um, it was so obvious that the play caller had found the like the soft spot and was just pushing on it. That's kind of gross, but you know what I mean. Like they're like, oh, yeah. they can't, they can't stop go balls to AJ Brown. Uh, uh, like we're gonna kill them. And I, I think it had that hasn't felt. It hasn't. The games haven't played out in the same way. So while the offense on the on the whole has been as efficient, has been practically as efficient as productive. Um, it doesn't feel as dominant in a way that's very clearly the work of the play caller. Does that make sense? No, it does. I think it's the same situation we saw in Buffalo. We saw that play out. The vibes are just different. And like when it's different, you have to have someone to blame. And yeah, there's one guy that's been changed and it's Steichen to Brian Johnson. So you're going to blame Brian Johnson. I, I do think they, they've they lost that little element where I think uh, Nate Tice calls it the Occam Occam's razor offense where just do the most obvious thing and just keep doing it over and over again. To me, that's, it's like playing that's better than pushing on the soft spot, which is the way I would uh, compare it is to, if you play Madden online, you're going to run into like a 13 year old and that 13 year old is going to find like one play that works and they're just going to keep doing it until you stop it. And if you stop it, they're going to find another play that kind of like exploits the thing you did to stop it. So I like to call Steichen like a Madden online player. And I mean that as a compliment. I think it's just the best approach to play calling. And I do, I think Brian Johnson is still figuring that out, but my God, can we give the guy some time? Like the other, yeah. I would also, another thing is defenses understand the Eagles offense better than they did last year. Substantively, when you look at the individual plays and tendencies, they are not different from last year. But I do think defenses have gotten better at playing them. I also I talked about this a little bit last week. I think Hertz's increased reticence to run has also changed the complexion of the offense and made it life a little bit easier for defenses. Still very good. And I think one thing they'll be able to do against this Niners team. Um, so Talano Hafanga was injured. Did not matter against the Seattle Seahawks, who uh, have not really thrown over the middle of the field in like six weeks. It, I think it could matter against this team. I think... Um, so I think they'll be able to, there, there's the Niners defense. I still think is very good, but in terms of the short yardage and inside between the tackles run defense, they can exploit that. I think the RPO game continue to give them some trouble. And I think they'll be able to attack, I don't know, Ambry Thomas and, uh, you know, uh, Jair Brown in a way that the Seahawks couldn't. So I, I, I think this game's gonna be close. I do. Like, I think these teams continue to match up really well. I don't feel like, um, I don't. I, have, I think the Niners are favored slightly in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which I think is appropriate. Uh, that makes sense to me. But I don't know. I, I I feel like this is going to be quite close. I think it's going to be close. I think it's a better matchup on paper for San Francisco than I thought a couple of weeks ago. And I do think this pass defense, like it, it kind of went unnoticed because of everything that happened in the title game. Like they really put a lid on that that pass game. Yeah. Without sacrificing too much against the run. Like they had, I think it was 140 yards passing, 120 yards passing. And 40 of them came on a catch that wasn't even completed. It came on the Devontae Smith fourth down catch that wasn't challenged. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a low scoring game. And I don't think people are expecting that. 
Okay. Well, uh, before we get off this game, I do have one thing that I want to ask you about. Um, are you, you, you've seen the quarterback apology forms out there in the universe, right? Most recently, most recently, Cortland Sutton made one for Russell Wilson. Um, Josh Allen one. I should have signed the Josh Allen one, honestly, whatever that circulated. (laughs) I I owe him a signature. Okay. So (laughs) I'll sign it. You could Bill's fans. You can send. I feel like I've honestly self-flagellated so much about Josh Allen already. So, uh, Okay. So my question for you, Stephen Ruiz of the famed quarterback rankings, known Brock Purdy suppressor, what would it take for you to sign this Brock Purdy apology form? Uh, video audience, you can see it. Audio audience says to Brock Purdy from Stephen Ruiz, you have to check a reason for your behavior. Here are some of the reasons. I don't know football and or I am a troll. I thought he was a system quarterback slash game manager. I thought he was replaceable. I wanted to force a quarterback controversy. Twitter trolls convinced me he was terrible. I'm obsessed with Kyle Shanahan. So my question again, what would it take? What would Brock Purdy have to do in this game for you to sign this form? If Brock Purdy, (sighs) this is tough. I need to see, like, I, I, it's hard to describe because I, 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 like, have a next-gen passing map in my mind. I have, like, a time to throw in my mind. I don't know how to put it. Like, if Brock Purdy is knocked off his timing in the 49ers offense and still puts up decent numbers and wins this game, I'll sign the damn four. So if he creates, basically, on his own, outside of the structure of the offense, makes a few big plays, which he's done. No, no. I want him to create within the structure of the offense. Like first okay. read's not open, but I find my second or third read uh, okay. on time in the pocket against a, a ferocious pass rush. And then I'll sign that. And I'm it's either between the first box or the last box. Uh, at this point, I would I like to reveal one thing before we move on to this game. I made this form myself. I just changed Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy. It was on the internet as a Jimmy Garoppolo apology form from about three you years ago. You printed it out and everything? You have a printer in 2023? And uh, yeah, so it is. This is, an, this is an old Jimmy Garoppolo form, which... Uh, I'll sign that one personally. You can mail that to me. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. A little less sexy, Browns-Rams, but I do stay in the division. I do want to hit this one early because... Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it, this, there's some news around this. Uh, the news latest looks like Miles Garrett is going to play. He did get hurt in the last game. And uh, Joe Flacco, according to our Adam Schefter, is taking snaps as QB1. DTR got concussed in the last game. Uh, and PG Walker is PG Walker. So this game matters. Like both of these teams are very much in playoff contention. Um, we should. I, let's just start with the quarterback. Of the three quarterbacks that I mentioned, Flacco, DTR, PJ Walker, who do you think would have given them the best chance to win in this? I'd go DTR just because I'm a sucker for athletic quarterbacks. You you can build a run game around. I think that's like the easiest cheat code for building a viable offense. But like Joe Flacco is better than PJ Walker. I think we were talking about this before we started recording. My problem is my problem with Joe Flacco is his approach and his like general disdain for playing like playing football. It seems like it's like almost contemptuous when he plays football. Like he doesn't want to be there. And I don't know how that's gonna work out. Like if he plays well, Joe Flacco could be a decent quarterback. He can win this game. He if must he's like love not like interested in being ball. there. 
Because he, he's already made so much money in his lifetime. And yet he is he was when they showed him on the plane to Cleveland, it, I was like kind of shocked. But that because, would be, yeah, that would come as very surprising to people in Baltimore. I grew up around Baltimore listening to Baltimore radio. And the, the, the thing they complained about every offseason was like, why is it Flacco working hard? Like, why can't we see him work hard? Why is he spending time with his family? Which maybe that's maybe I'm the weird one. Like I'm agreeing with the radio callers. I think his vibe is pretty dispassionate, so that probably lends itself to that. Plus the infamous rep of him playing wide receiver and just standing at the line of scrimmage with Lamar Jackson. And then all of the reports that he was like not very friendly to Lamar Jackson, which again, he just loves quarterback so much. He just didn't want to give up the job. All right. So uh, I I agree with you. I I was actually really bummed um, that DTR got hurt because I actually thought he, he has shown a little bit. He's, you know, I mean, in the last game, too, you you saw against the Broncos, he started, he made a few, I thought, decent throws, used his legs, and I, I'm with you. I think you can put together at least like a functional, interesting offense. Flacco, I mean, it, it's, the Rams defense is not very good. They've got some young players who are still, um, who, who flash, and then Aaron Donald is still Aaron Donald. But um, like a functional Browns offense, like should be able to move the ball on them. Um, you know, last, I mean, I, I was at the Seahawks Rams game and, but that was Drew Locke came in. So you couldn't really discount that, or you have to kind of discount their performance in that one. I, I, I think with this though, the question for I mean, it's really about the other side of the ball and the Browns defense, which looked like absolute world beaters through much of the season coming off of, I believe their worst performance of the year against Russell Wilson's Broncos, who we're going to talk about. Um, was that a kind of flash in the pan thing? Was that a, we're so sick of our offense doing nothing that we're just kind of exhausted, which is a thing that I really believe happens to elite defenses at a certain point every year. You can't sustain being an elite defense with a crap offense all year. I will die on that hill. Was it a Denzel Ward is out and Miles Garrett got hurt at some point during the game thing? Like, do you have, do you think that this, uh, this defense is still elite and do you think that they match up well with the Rams offense which has been you know pretty good with Matthew Stafford back I think it can be elite like I just think that's the case with the defenses across the league I think the only defense that you can rely on to be good every week right now is Baltimore I think it's a matchup thing and I think this matchup suits Cleveland really well what for what I think this is going to be a loud game like I watched Chargers Green Bay a couple weeks ago and like you couldn't even hear the pads hitting I feel like such like a old football guy, but like it didn't seem like real football. I think this game where you have the Rams who are just like running duo every play against an <laughs> attack react defense. I just think it's going to be a line of scrimmage type of game. Whoever wins the line of scrimmage wins this game. And I do think this is a bad matchup for a Rams team that has kind of struggled in quick game. Mm. And you kind of have to get the, rid of the ball quickly against this defense or it's going to be a long day. I think Stafford, when we've seen them struggle this year, it's when they can't block yeah. and they can't protect. Yeah. I'm thinking about that Cincinnati game on Monday night where Cincinnati at some point realized, oh, we can just rush the hell out of them and they can't do anything. And I think Cleveland's going to realize something similar. And low-key, Jim Schwartz has kind of owned Sean McVay over the past has couple he? years. Yeah, like with the Eagles, they always used to beat the Rams. That's true. Is it? Well, he owns Kyle Shanahan too. Maybe he, Jim Schwartz just owns that whole family out of that, the tree of coaches. I don't know. I'd like to see the record because the Shanahan record is 
the fun, the really impressive one. I mean, I don't know how many times that they've played McVeigh, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, your point about the offensive line and the protection for Matthew Stafford, I think, is really important in this one because, um, like this, the Rams tape this year is fascinating. Uh, there are moments where they look like one of the five best offenses in the NFL, and all of us nerds like will just share clips of Matthew Stafford like throwing, you know across his field, like, like, I like a, like a deep out on the opposite sideline. It's like whistling past like five guys. And you're like, Oh my God, he's still a lead. You know, he's still, where's he on your QB rankings, by the way? Uh, I think he's 11th, 10th. Okay. So he still has a top four, three, two arm, but he struggles when he's pressured. Uh, and you've seen that in the game that that's been sort of the, I mean, he was hurt for a while, but you saw that I think after the beginning of the season, we came back and we're like, oh my God. And then you realize, oh wait, the CX pass rush is not very good. Um, so I think that could be a huge problem in this game. And I think they're going to lean heavily on the run to try to mitigate that, especially coming off of a game where Kyron Williams put up like 800 yards on Arizona. Uh, and also on the other side, a game where the Browns, the Bronco, yeah, probably the Browns defense got run all over by Denver. So I, Sean McVay, as a play caller, if he perceives, and I, I firmly believe this, having you know <laughs> watched him at work uh, over the last five or six years or whatever, if he perceives there to be an advantage in the run game, he will run the football. And I think that that's really going to what the, what this is going to come like. Can the Browns get into third down and anything against this team? If they do, I, I completely tilt the advantage to them on that side of the ball. And I, I do think that's where McVeigh has kind of evolved the most over the last couple of years is just finding different ways to continue to run his stable plays. I think they've invested more in the run game pre-snap kind of, and this was always their thing is what, what was the phrase that he uses? It's like the illusion of complexity or whatever, yeah. doing a lot yeah. before the snap. But I think now they're, they do a better job of avoiding mismatches on their offensive line against the opposing defensive line. So if there is, there is one reason why I think the Rams can win that it's because of Sean McVay's own improvement as a play caller mm. since he's last gone against Jim Schwartz. I, I don't know. It's just tough when you have to rely on that run game. I think when this team has been at, at its best is when Matthew Stafford has played well, even though it's come against uh, not the best defenses, but it's when he does look like that quarterback that we tweet about when we post clips about. And I just don't know how that happens in this game. I really don't. I, I don't really? think McVay can create that situation. Hmm. Are you leaning Browns? I'm Even with Browns. Joe Flacco? Uh, I don't know. I mean, this feels ugly. I, I do think that the, the Browns defense will look more like they did, you know, prior to last week. But I also think whoever is playing quarterback for Cleveland is probably going to turn the football over. And it just feels like a gross kind of game, especially with like a slightly banged up Miles Garrett. If he was at full strength, I would feel a lot better about him taking over this game. Um, I still think that the, the, the Browns defense and the pass rush in particular will still be able to, I think, create a lot of problems, though it'll be hard. I, I, I probably end up going Rams just because of the Flacco aspect of it and the Browns offense. But uh, this is, I mean, it, this kind of feels like a win and you're still alive situation. So it matters a lot. This one for both the AFC and the NFC playoff picture. All right, let's take a quick break, come back and talk about an AFC South showdown. 
between two teams that uh, I haven't talked about in a while. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, that's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Okay, we are back. We are talking Colts-Titans. Let's start on the offense. Well, let's start, let's take a minute to talk about the Colts broadly. Is Shane Steichen, I almost said Shane Steich him. Is he him? Appropriate. He is, he is. <laughs> I was ready to call him Shane Steich him. Uh, was it when Zaire Franklin pretended to be a fullback on that fourth down. Was that the moment that you were like, oh, he's definitely him? Or was is it watching this offense uh, week 
continued to move the ball relatively efficiently, despite the fact that Gardner Minshew tries to throw throw an interception at least once a drive. Like, what 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 is it? When when did you come to this realization about Steichen this year? It's been like a process. It was it was last year when I first discovered him, and I was like, uh, this this guy is my favorite offensive play caller, mostly because of the Madden thing I explained earlier. I think the Zaire Franklin thing in the game last week in particular, it wasn't just that, that play. It was, a, there were a couple of fourth down decisions that I thought were really aggressive and really smart. I think he checked off like the head coaching box this year. And that was the the thing that I didn't know. There's no way to know like how he's going to handle the head coaching responsibilities. And it's not like he's had an easy road. I mean, the Jonathan Taylor thing was messy to say the least. You lose your your quarterback in week two, week three, and he was already in and out of the lineup. Jim Irsay, I mean, I, that's all I have to say. Jim Irsay was there, is, is involved, and he's kept it together. They're not only six and five, but it's not like Gardner Minshew is playing well no, at all. Not playing or well, playing, no. Or playing well in a way that is conducive to winning games. The Colts, can I just say, are uh, every year there's a team that is a good litmus test for are you really watching the games? And I really feel like the Colts are this year. If you're speaking with anyone who says, yeah, and you know, Gardner Minshew, he's really keeping them afloat. They are not watching Colts games. (laughs) I know that sounds really mean, but... That dude tries to turn the ball over. First of all, he's not pushing the ball downfield. All of the offense is like, I mean, it's very schemed up. They are running the football well. Offensive line is playing better. They kind of returned to form a bit. But he is a like he should have so many more interceptions than he does if you watch the games. Sorry. Just had to get that off my chest. It's pretty bad. And then uh yeah, and one thing they're doing is just calling a bunch of RPO. Yeah. 24% rate, RPO rate. Second place in the end, that's first in the NFL. Second place is at 19% in Buffalo. There's a 5% gap between them and the next team. And I think being able to run a viable offense based around RPOs in the NFL is basically impossible unless you have star talent at, at yeah. the receiver position at, on the offensive line at quarterback. And they don't have any of that. Like, I like some of their players. I like some of their like pieces Pittman. on offense. Yeah, I like Pittman. Uh, I like Downs. Uh, obviously, Jonathan Taylor's a star, and I think he's rounding into form. But yes. there are not a lot of pieces here to build a good offense, and I think they've done that. And I can't wait to see what this offense looks like with mm. Anthony Richardson. No. I know they're they are going to have a very like a well. I was gonna say it's not gonna be very high. They're gonna have a pretty decent draft pick, and if they could grab like a one of the this is such a great wide receiver draft. Harrison's gonna be too high for them, but if they could get like a neighbors potentially. Malik Neighbors from LSU, even at like a Dunze at UW, like they're they're they have some real potential to give Anthony Richardson some weaponry uh, next year. But I totally agree with you about the offense. Um, Jonathan Taylor is not playing in this game. He's uh, he's I, I, they haven't said how long he's going to be out. But when Zach Moss, I think Taylor is an upgrade over Moss. However. Similar success rate, similar DVOA. Zach Moss was running the football very well for them. Some of that is because of the RPO game. Some of it is because, and I mentioned this, the offensive line really does look uh, like they're back to being a strength on this team. Um, And yeah, that's going to be the formula. I mean, the the Titans defense, uh, pass rush is still awesome. Secondary is still a disaster. So it kind of comes down to whether or not I think well and, and you know they they tend to defend the run with very light boxes I wouldn't like 
you know, we'll see what approach they take against this Colts team, uh, given the offensive limitations we discussed. Um, but I do think it's going to just be like, just Gardner Minshew avoid turning the football over in this, frankly. Um, on the other side of the ball, I, I want to say this about the Colts. Um, the pass rush is good. Like they're, they're kind of, they're, they, the defense is like, it, 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 it's still a Gus Bradley defense. It's still like not extremely fun to watch. Uh, it's not in, rather interesting. Right. But he has a good, he, like he famously doesn't blitz a lot. He has a good four man rush. Like it's not just Buckner. Odeing bingo. Odeing bow. I think I'm saying it's dialing to the second round. He mm-hmm. has looked really good this year. Um, I, I really, and then, yeah, I, I really believe, I don't know where they, uh, this is the, the thing that shocked me. I think we were talking about this earlier. I think they're like a top 10 pass defense in DVOA, and that's almost entirely because of the pass rush. I mean, Grover Stewart's been suspended, but they've been able to hold it down pretty well. And you know, I think that's for this game where this gets a little bit hairy for Tennessee and why I think ultimately Indianapolis is going to win because Titans' offensive line sucks. <laughs> that's not a, an offensive formula you want to go up against when you're facing a Gus Bradley defense. I think it's like the yeah. perfect offense to go up against. It kind of feels like the league has kind of come back to Gus Bradley. Like he was like the star like a decade ago. Oh, and then what the a two high guy. And now it's kind of come back. Like you're a Simpsons fan. There's like a scene when like Millhouse, he's wearing the high waters and then it floods. And then he's like, oh, everything's looking Millhouse. <laughs> that's that's Gus Bradley with his cover three. If you have the players, if you have the players, you have to have. If you have the players. I mean, if he, if Gus Bradley had like cornerbacks, they would be an amazing defense. But they're, they, you know, he only has right. passwords. Yeah. They can't play man coverage at all. They can only play zone. They can only really play spot drop zone because you don't want to create those matchups with like matchup zones. I will say this about the matchup. I think Shane Bowen and Mike Rabel got the better of Shane Steichen when they played the Eagles last year. Mm. I thought the difference in that game. Oh, yeah. There you go. The difference in that game was A.J. Brown just dunked on the entire Tennessee secondary. Like right. they had the numbers in the right spot. It wasn't a, a quantitative problem. It was a qualitative problem. Was that the and game that John Robinson got fired like right after? <laughs> of yeah. AJ Brown. That was the loser leaves town game. <laughs> um, what I, I do want to say something about the okay, the Titans offense. Uh, first of all, I, I said the offensive line sucks. Peter Skaronski is out there fighting for his life. It's like um, when you used to watch Chris Lindstrom on the Falcons offensive line. <laughs> That's Peter Skaronski right now. Because uh, outside of him, it, it is very rough. Um, what, do you, what have you thought of Levis? So I watched this game, uh, the Titans-Panthers game last week. Um, I have my thoughts. I will reserve them. I want to hear your thoughts on what you've seen. Because what it's been four starts now. He had that very hot yeah. start, simmered down a little bit. What do you think watching him? My comp for him hasn't changed since draft season. It's Big Baker. Like, Big. <laughs> I would not want to build around him, but I could see... I could see him becoming a, a decent quarterback. Like you could see it. I wouldn't give up on him. That's that's how I would put it. I think he, the the bones of a good quarterback is in there. It's it's about filling filling that out. I don't know if this Tennessee staff is the right team to get the most out of him. But I, I think there's. What, how do you feel about? Yeah. Him? Okay. Well, first I'll say by saying I think the offense is actually optimized to him in a way that is. It was maybe it was because I was watching I, the Panthers are which are just such a 
go on the other side for a million different reasons in every possible way. So watching Tennessee, it's like norm against a normal offense. You'd be like, wow, they really need players and a better scheme. But then when you compare it to the Carolina, you're like, Oh, you have Deandre Hopkins and Derrick Henry. And you know, that it seems like you're actually calling an offense that's somewhat catered to your quarterback skill set. Um, I think what stands out to me, he kind of looks like he did in college which is to say he has an insane arm. That dude probably throws the best out route in the NFL right now. Like that thing mm-hmm. is in like, and they call a zillion of them because of it, because it just whistles. Uh, it doesn't matter where he is in the field, where he's throwing to. Uh, so the arm strength stands out, the toughness in the pocket, the throw he made to Hopkins in that game, the touchdown under pressure. Uh, I think it was just a was it Hopkins on that, like a slot fade or something? I'm trying to remember. Anyways, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was, it was. Uh, that's Will Levis to a T. He's going to take the hit. He's going to launch that thing. And um, he has the arm talent to do it. I think, however, he, there are still some, he, he's not the best pocket manager. You don't see him. He's not like, um, uh, where, you know, he's not an advanced processor in the way that you see with CJ Stroud. So the question is just kind of, can he improve at those things? Because the the tools are there. I also think they could probably use him a little bit more as a runner than they do. I will say that. Yeah. Because yeah. um, he, you know, he moves very well too. So I don't, it's a little bit of a mushy mouth answer, but it is, I just kind of feel the same way I did about him ahead of the draft. Still a good pick where they got him, in my opinion. Which is, that's a good sign. Like, yeah. It's a good thing that he's not a disaster because I think with him it was either this is going to be really ugly or he's going to be a, a decent quarterback. And I think it's becoming more obvious that he will be a decent quarterback. Like he will stick around at least. He will get a chance to play okay. quarterback. Uh, my concern with the staff isn't necessarily the play calling because I agree with you. I do think they're maximizing him. I thought that first game was like a brilliant – it was a, it was a great game plan. Like just shot plays all, all the time. My problem is like I want to see the development. Like I want him yeah. to be put into uncomfortable situations that make him better where he could start to fill in those gaps in his game. And I don't think the Titans coaching staff will provide him with that. I just want to, if he, as long as he's in like a play action, heavy offense, I think it works. I think it's yeah. going to work because the talent is there. And he has like those, like you said, the out route thing, that's a tool that you can use to build an offense around. That's, I mean, the, the amount of times on drives, I mean, it's not a lot because they're not a very successful offense in part because they have a non-functioning offensive line. But um, when you have a guaranteed seven, eight yards against certain coverages, that is a weapon. He's a good RPO quarterback too, by the way. He was like that. You saw that in college too. So like you said, there are things he can do that he does at a above average to higher level. And when we talk about quarterbacks and like, okay, can this, what, you know, is there something to build on? Uh, I think the fact that he has those tools in his tools, you know, in his toolkit, at least give you a reason to believe he just has to improve at the other things. So it's, yeah, anyways, I, 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 I'm a little bit optimistic. I'm not totally there though, because I'm not like, there's so much to do on this offensive line. So much. It's, you know, like I said, it's one guy out there fighting for his life right now. And it's it's tough building the play-action offense. Yeah. You need a lot of pieces. Derrick Henry still still rocks, though. Love Derrick I don't know Henry. how. He's the new Adrian Peterson. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to count him out until I see it. 
All right. Well, I mentioned CJ Stroud. Let's talk about the Broncos Texans. Um, real quick here, plug here for my YouTube channel. If you're listening to this in the podcast, check out ESPN or it's youtube.com slash at Mina Kimes or just look up my name on YouTube. I may, I mentioned that here. The full episodes are on YouTube. There are timestamps you can watch. Uh, I'm doing a video on Friday about the Broncos. So I'll get into some of it right now, but you can, if you're, especially if you're a Broncos fan, really digging into what I've seen out of them this year and, and some of the reasons behind their improvement and whether it's sustainable on that video. But we will talk about it here because the Broncos are also in the hunt. Everybody's in the hunt. The Texans are in the hunt. They're both in the hunt. These games are meaningful. It's great, actually, because it means we get to talk about actual meaningful games in December slash November between teams that, you know, sometimes we wouldn't be able to. Um, Broncos are coming off of the five-game win streak. Uh, so the very short TLDR of what has happened is that the offense was never bad and the defense is turning offenses over. There you go. I do think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think the defense has made some actual improvements and there's been specific changes in personnel and how they use the personnel. Um, So let's start on that side of the ball because CJ Stroud is everybody's favorite quarterback right now. Uh, it's funny because they can't be like, wow, this Broncos de- defense hasn't played anyone. They played like they played Patrick Mahomes twice during this stretch. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Like they're, yes, they had Walker, PJ Walker slash DTR last week, but it's not like they haven't played anyone. Um, do you think that CJ Stroud will be the quarterback who undoes this recent string of success for Denver? Do you think they can give him any problems? Yeah, I do, because I think he's a quarterback that gets better as he gets later into the down. And that was always the question with him Yeah, before the draft was, what does he do later into the play? And that's been the biggest thing that stood out to me so far, especially last week in that Jacksonville game. I, I really thought Jacksonville's coaching staff did a good job of calling plays on defense, taking okay. away their first option. You saw Stroud have to hitch so much in that game. And yet it never felt like he was out of control of the situation. Like he always felt like he w- he wasn't sped up at all. He didn't really throw into coverage at all. He, he, he made good decisions for the most part. And against a Vance Joseph defense, I think Vance Joseph gets, his defenses get worse the deeper you get into plays because he does play such like a, a, a boomer bust style. If they don't win in the first couple of seconds of a snap, like disaster happens. We saw that in the Dolphins game. I really think that's, that's the reason why Miami scored 70 points to me mm. is because I think what Mike McDaniel does so well Interesting. is speed up or, or capitalize on those first few seconds of a play. Yeah. And like kind of like open the window up for Tua just because of how fast the receivers are. And I think that was a real problem for them. I think CJ Stroud does that by himself without the scheme. I think he slows time down. I think he extends plays without losing control of the situation. And against a Vance Joseph defense, like I wouldn't be surprised if they put up 40 points in this game. Wow. Uh, Okay. So a lot there. I'll start with, um, the Stroud side of it. I, I really like the way you described his play. And I think that was something like the watching the, um, Jags game on TV. I was like, wow, 
they, their Jags pass rush is just killing Houston because CJ Stroud was under siege the entire time. You really saw his creativity, his play under pressure was outstanding. But then watching the tape, uh, you realize, no, he's having to hold on to the football because of coverage on a lot of these pressures. Uh, and he also is very good at that. He's very good at, he has that Mahomesian quality, frankly, where he's very good at already at evading sacks, but also keeping plays alive, that calmness within the pocket, finding, you know, um, opportunities beyond those first two seconds, two and, you know, two and a half seconds. Um, sometimes to his detriment, I would argue that's why he took those, uh, two, well, I, I don't know if actually if they were late in the play, but like on the at the end of the game when he took the two deep shots on third and fourth down when he really shouldn't have, I do think it's because he has so much confidence in his ability to go hunting kind of downfield, which is, by the way, extremely preferable from a, a viewing perspective to watch a quarterback who does that. Um, so it's the anti-car you know, uh, in him. So I love that about him. Um, and to your, so to your point, yeah, I think with... Uh, with Denver, if he can beat them quickly, early in plays, I think that is going to cause a lot of problems for them. I will say that is part of why they were so bad against Miami, but they also had some really bad football players on the field that are no longer field. Um, and, and watching this Denver defense, this isn't something that is entirely captured in the statistics, but uh, they some of the players who were already playing are playing better, like Zach Allen, frankly. Uh, but then you also have guys like Baron Browning coming back from injury. They benched half of the secondary. Actually, um, one guy, I feel bad singling him out, but this dude, uh, Bassey, who was their slot for the first few games, uh, when it was in the Chargers game when they gave a touchdown. And I was like, Bassey, Bassey, who is that? And then it really, I was like, oh my God, he was the like this the worst player on the Denver defense. And now Brandon Staley was starting him. Um, but uh, so they benched him, they benched Mathis, um, Fabian Rose now playing outside corner. And then uh, uh, Jaquan McMillan, who was their slot, I think is really good. He's like a really, he really stood out to me in this, in one of the chiefs games. And I started noticing him more and better more. So Long story short, I do think they have better players now yeah. that will help them, even though I I think some a lot of what you said about the Vance Joseph defense is astute. I think in this one, you know, it is um, going to be a matter of whether or not they can get the sort of pressure that you saw last week against Cleveland. Um and because yeah, I don't think I, as as improved as their secondary is. I don't. I think the the, the Texans wide receivers who are like are rapidly rising up my favorite groups to watch. I think they're more talented than what Depp, outside of Justin Simmons, who's still awesome. Yeah, and I I think this game is about creating, especially when Houston has the ball. It's it, and I guess it applies to Denver based on how they've kind of been moving the ball this year. Is creating like transition moments for the defense, like getting them to step forward before they step back into coverage. And I think that's always the key against advanced Joseph defense because they do attack so much. And yeah, Houston's run game hasn't been good this year. I think that's kind of been the quiet thing that nobody has noticed with Bobby Slovak's offense. Hi, as so a Damian Pierce manager, I have noticed how bad the run game is. It's gotten uh, better though. 
So that's yes. my hope for this matchup is that they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit better with Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary isn't like an explosive runner by any means, but he gets the yardage that you block for him. And I think that's very valuable in this situation to avoid the situations where Vance, def- uh, Vance Joseph's defense does is hard to attack. And that's third yeah. long. No, that's, that's absolutely true. I thought actually in the last game, they probably went away from, I know it's hard with slow. I mean, I feel for him because the run game has been so atrocious, but I do think that um, the Jags were who, and they have such a good run defense, but they were kind of able to tee off on them a little bit because of the lack of the run game. Um, You just need that ability. And it, I mean, I've said this before it, what CJ Stroud is doing is so amazing given how awful the run game is. It's, I think it was, 31st in DVOA last I checked I'm sure it's somewhere mm. where they're still despite some improvement um on the other side of the ball so uh you know I said at the top that the Broncos offense was never bad and um they've just continued to be about the same frankly since the first so that was you know it, it was the first few weeks they were fine they've continued to be fine uh the the Browns the Broncos offense I think you and I talked about this I don't remember if we it was um in a division preview or what, but oh, maybe it was when we were ranking quarterbacks and we were talking about Russell Wilson. They're kind of exactly what people thought they would be when they hired, when they hired Sean, Mc, Sean Payton, pardon me. And then given the personnel moves that they made this off season, Russell Wilson is basically like Alex Smith now. Uh, <laughs> He's a first down I, quarterback. He's an early down quarterback now. What's amazing, though, is, um, and I want to give him credit here, you know, he's 35 now, and he resisted this for a long, last year, so often, the refusal to check it down, trying to keep plays, and then when he did check it down, the inaccuracy, he is fully leaned in this year. He is checking that thing down. I think he has the second lowest average death to target in the NFL, um, the offense is reasonably efficient as a result. The offensive line, which has extremely been really healthy is pl- contrary to last year is playing fine. It's a very boring offense with like three cool rust plays a game. And then he's using his legs and he looks better. I want to mention that too. He looks a lot more mobile this year than he did last year, but that's the formula that the, yeah. it's pretty simple. It's like 2013 Russ. Yeah. Uh, and I think like... Well, well minus the really cool plays. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, he doesn't do that anymore. But uh, credit to Sean Payton for everyone yeah. expected him to try this. I didn't think it was going to work as well as it has. I thought it would work fine. It's kind of like the, the Seahawks offense last year. I thought the Seahawks offense would be fine without him. I didn't expect Gino to do what he did. But we've seen a similar situation. I, I give it. I give all the credit to Sean Payton. I don't think like Russ is... He, he does look more mobile. He scored his own retouchdown last week, which is very impressive. I haven't seen that in a long time. They were they were uh, shocked, by the way. <laughs> like they did not. <laughs> Cleveland did not see that coming. Uh, but yes, yeah. But I still think this team has problems on second and third down, and that's when you see the franchise quarterbacks make the difference on third down. That's when like the checkdown thing doesn't help him out. It hurts him, and then he kind of has to resort to hero ball Russ. And I think we see that's when we see like the, the ugly reps. Yeah, and. I think D'Amico Ryans is going to put him in those situations. I think D'Amico has checked every box he possibly could this year as a head coach. 
Are you, are you really? Are you so impressed by the Texans' defense? I guess given the talent disadvantage that they have at some spots, what they've done is pretty impressive. When I watch them, they—I I, I have mentioned this before—I do think that they tackle and hit in a way that is like vaguely reminiscent of the 49ers. But they—they're not—they don't scare me. I, I would no, not be scared yeah. of them as an offense. It's like the developmental thing. Like you can okay. see their young players. The young players you want to see do well are doing well. And then I, I do think you could see him trying to figure things out on defense. And I like this is a physical defense. I think that's the thing that stood out from yeah. the Jags game the most is like watching that game. It didn't feel like I was watching like a crappy AFC South matchup. It felt like I was watching like a playoff game between two real yeah. teams that know what they're doing. And I, I, I just think that's the best sign of a good coach. It doesn't matter what side of the ball you're on. I think if your team plays hard and you can change the identity of a team that quickly, I think it's very impressive. Yeah, I think it's just going to be, can you stop the run and the play-action passing attack on early downs against this team? Because that's what Denver wants to do. Um, and you know, there's again games where Houston has done that better than other games. I, I, you know, and I've, uh, I think I was actually pretty impressed by the Jaguars offensive line against this four man rush last week. I think the Broncos offensive line is actually better than the Jaguars offensive line. So if they are unable, unable, I mean, it's Russell Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are night and day when it comes to how hard it is to sack this quarterback. But, um, I think if the Broncos offensive line plays uh, the way that they've been playing, especially really through much of the season. I don't know. I think that the Broncos offense can move the ball on Houston, but to your point, just putting a bow on this game. I also think that CJ Stroud could have a pretty big day uh, against Denver. So where, where are you ranking CJ Stroud right now? If you did your own quarterback rankings, where would you put him? Probably like 10. Yeah, Where do you have fair. him? I have him like 14th right now, but that's just like... Is mine too high? I, I just think... No, do I don't think him? so. Because uh, he just passed like Jared Goff, and it's just like the 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 top 10 guys. I think Gino's right in front of him, and I think he's going to pass Gino like next week. Uh, I, I, like, I want to be skeptical about this. I want to say that it's not going to last like this. But every way you look at his numbers, it, it checks out. It passes every sniff test. Like he has a lot of stats that are similar to Brock Purdy's, Tua's, and even Jalen Hurts, like the typical guys that we associate with being in a good offense. Like on on throws where he throws on time, like he just hits the back of his drop. According to PFF, he's averaging like nine yards per attempt. And there are only three guys in the league averaging over nine yards per attempt on timing plays, and they all play for in a Shanahan offense. The difference between him and those guys is that his turnover-worthy play rate is, like, super low. And those guys, on timing plays, it's super high, which kind of explains, like, how the offense works. Like, you have to throw over the middle, and you're throwing over the middle no matter what. Whether it's open or not, you're throwing it. And I think C.J. Stroud has kind of figured out how to work around that. Like, he's going to make those throws if they're open, but if they're not, he can find a plan B. He's not just going to be beholden to the play call. And yeah, I think you that's don't, what separates him from everyone else. You don't feel like it's like so predetermined when you're watching him mm-hmm. that like at all. I mean, I, I'll be curious. I mean, the Ravens, you know, are kind of the, I'd like to see him play Baltimore again, maybe, you know, and kind of to see, okay, if 
that to, when we talk about predetermination in these Shanahan offenses and like what's in a defense you want to see this quarterback go up against to see if that they can move off of their original plan that's kind of the defense who I view as the benchmark for that so I'd like to see I you know that'd be maybe maybe they will in the playoffs by the way it's a they're in the hunt I think the biggest uh, knock on CJ Stroud is not a knock on him at all it's that I believe everybody is underrating his group of pass catchers I that's um that's fair I think Nico Collins and Take Tell are awesome. I think they're so good. And uh, and you could say, well, we saw Nico Collins without CJ Stroud and he wasn't as good. And that is true. But I actually didn't. I thought he was kind of underrated. And I think I've said this much coming into this season. Uh, and now he is a really good quarterback, so he's unlocked that. And Tank Dell is like my, maybe one of my like five favorite wide receivers to watch in the NFL right now. I love him so much. He has he has like the system quarterback numbers. I will like the yak, like the open yeah. receiver target rate, all that stuff. Houston is giving him a good situation. Yeah, I think people, I agree with you. It's when you look at you, but when you cut it up with third down and when the play breaks down and all that stuff, he's still elite, and that's what's mm. different. All right, where do you have Jordan Love? I think he's up to twenty second now, twenty first. But I I always have been high on him. I want to put that out there. He's kind of low right now, but I, I, I'm i just biding my time. I'm letting him Well, in. let's wrap with Sunday Night Football. Is this when the love train comes to a screeching halt is the question uh, against this Chiefs defense. We'll start on that side of the ball, and then we'll talk about the, uh, the Mahomes. Um, so earlier this week, Dominique and I talked about love, and I talked about how I thought he was amazing against the Lions. Now the Lions defense is really bad, but he was amazing in ways that transcend you're playing a bad defense, like the tight window throws. He made just the types of throws, the accuracy, the confidence, the decision-making, the athleticism. I think with love, my only concern with this particular game, he has gotten his, his um, improvement this year has been so linear, right? At some point, you know, it's got to derail a little bit because it's like, and I said this every week, it, there's been like increased consistency when it comes to his ball placement, but it's not that long ago that we saw a lot of misses. It just the accuracy was spotty. He was nails this last week, but I don't think that's going, it's not like, oh, this is how accuracy works. Every week you're better and now you're just awesome. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he's probably going to be due for a game where suddenly you see a lot more bad balls because he had them not that long ago. And I say that as someone who's clearly very high on Jordan Love and his development this year. Uh, this is going to sound like an insult, but he's, he's a bit of a bozo, like in a good way, though, like in a, in a non-Derek Carr way. Well, who, do you, who does he remind you of? Let, give me more of like an example. Like I want to my parse it. My, my preseason comp was Geno Smith. I think he's more athletic, uh, but the way he processes stuff in the pocket, the way he kind of approaches pocket passing is similar in my opinion. And I think there is with Gino, especially early on in his career, there was that same thing you're talking about where like one week he looks really accurate and like he even strung together a couple of months where he looked like a really good quarterback, but then he always has those games where the accuracy issues pop up again. And I think that's my only block with like going all in on Jordan Love. And I would have said that before the season started too, you watch him against the Eagles last year on that Sunday night game. And you consider the situation. And I'm not someone that likes to hone in on like narrative stuff and be like, Oh, it was like a big spot against a good, like in crunch time and all that. But 
the way he approached the game really stood out to me. Like he came in throwing whole shots to running backs. Yeah. He was throwing no look passes against the eventual defending NFC champs. It was very impressive. And I think that's something that game, I went to uh, Green Bay's training camp. I wrote about Jordan Love before the season and I talked to Adam Stenovich and I kind of asked him about that game. And I asked him, was that the game where you guys had confidence in Jordan Love? Like, is that where he kind of proved to you that he had something to him? And they all say yes. Like that was a huge game in his development. And I think this game against the Chiefs, you talked about like wanting to see quarterbacks go up against certain styles of defense. This was the first defense he faced as an NFL starter. I mean, it's a game that he still brings up. Like I was, I talked to him in the locker room. He brought up this game and spags his game plan unprompted. I didn't have to ask him about it. And he said that was the game where he kind of like learned how the NFL works, where if you don't have an answer for something, they're just going to keep doing it. And in that game, Spags blitzed the hell out of, him. out of him. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. He didn't have an answer. His answer was spam throws to Devante, which is kind of a smart solution. But the Chiefs were able to take it away and he didn't do anything in that game. This is the litmus test game. We're going to see how much he's grown in this game. Eighth in QBR versus the Blitz this year. Sixth in QBR versus DB Blitzes. Obviously a smallish sample size. We know that's something that uh, Kansas City likes to do. Um, seventh in QBR. This one I'm always like a little bit wary of because it just can mean so many different things. But seventh in QBR this year versus disguised coverage. Again, another thing that you're going to see a lot of from Kansas City. Um, I do think they're kind of unique in some of their looks. I think they're going to um, uh, play a lot of zone against him, but change the way that they play it on a da- pre-snap on a down-to-down basis. I think they're going to – Spags is going to blitz. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a lot of simulated stuff up front, if he tries to just kind of completely muddy the picture for him and break some of his tendencies – yeah, it is. It, it's a bit of a litmus test in there. It's also a litmus test for these uh, young Packers receivers who we talk about Jordan Love's development. They have improved just as much comparably. And it's no coincidence that those two things are kind of going hand in hand. This is a very physical chief secondary, arguably the most physical secondary in the NFL. They're going to push them around, you know, so um, it, yeah, it feels like a, a true test for i mean i the packers offensive line has played much better as of late and i mentioned how good they were last week against detroit Chiefs pass rush is much better than detroit's so and again with those the sims and stuff and the creepers and all that you're gonna have they're gonna have to mentally uh handle everything that gets thrown at them up front um it's going to be really tricky uh, the one, the only thing I know with confidence about this game is that Chris Collinsworth is going to start by making a joke about how Jordan Love's parents had the worst seats against that Chiefs game. Oh yeah, remember that they were like sitting in the like I those seats. About that. Mike, they've got better seats this year. <laughs> I know that's how it's going to start, but beyond that, I don't know. I, I I really think this could on this side of the ball. I really think on the other side of the ball, I think Mahomes could be fine. We'll get to that. Uh, I think this could go a lot of different ways, just because of the improvement aspect and. To go back to what I said at the beginning, how improvement isn't always linear. If he plays like he had did last week, even against a better defense, they'll be fine. Yeah. But I don't know I, if he will. I think the one thing that will help him a lot in this game is like he's a fluid thrower. Like that's oh, the I, thing that really attracted me I to I love him watching him throw, man. Like arm angle, sidearm, like, and I think that type of play really stands out against this type of defense. 
Like that's why Spags is such a good test for quarterbacks to me is because he's going to attack you and he's going to put you under pressure and he's going to force you to throw from uncomfortable pockets. And like, for me, that's the best test for a quarterback. And if Jordan Love can do that and he does all like the sidearm stuff, all of the Patrick Mahomes stuff, the no look pass, he does no look passes too and never gets credit for it. Then I'd be excited if I was a Packers fan. In Ravens Chargers, Jason Garrett of all people kept calling. Um, he kept talking about Lamar being an athletic passer, which sounded problematic, but wasn't. He was talking about the sidearms and stuff, and I, that's how I, I think Love has a lot of that. Actually, like the Lamarish kind of way of passing pack when he is in the pocket, the way he throws the football actually does remind me a little bit of Lamar. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's fun in, in especially like in the like in the red zone, some of the touchdowns he throws because of that, because of his ability to do that and throw off platform. I I, I think that's it, it is why I I have been I was high on him coming into this season, and then I was like, oh, I don't know. Earlier in the year, it didn't look great, but I I feel like the arc has the you know everything's kind of come around. Uh, now this that could look really stupid. I don't know. I. I am not ruling out the possibility that Steve Spagnuolo puts him in an absolute torture chamber and Blunder, we have to walk yeah, back yeah. all of our pro Jordan Love takes. But because uh, Steve Spagnuolo is having a hell of a year. So we'll see. Um, I also I'll think, by the way. Love. Can I say one thing about Love? I think yeah. he has beaten the Trey Lance allegations already. <laughs> and that was the big thing for him. Um, yeah, we don't need to do a Jordan Love apology for him on this show. I. Uh, I will say one thing that would concern me uh, is if, even though he's, he's actually been very good from behind, obviously they've had some like crazy comebacks, but I do really prefer this Packers def- offense when they're ahead, especially against a Chiefs defense that's still a little sus against the run, which they had Aaron Jones in this game. If Mahomes comes out to like an early lead, then I'd, I'd start to get worried about this passing attack, especially again, if they're forced to pass a lot against this particular defense. And uh, that, that would be my concern because I, um, I, I, I think Patrick Mahomes will, will be fine against this offense or defense. Yeah, Green Bay's very, Green Bay's very much a game script offense is how I would put it. Like they have to yeah. have the right game script to play their game. On the other hand, like on the other side, I, I wrote about this in the quarterback rankings. I do a little intro every week and like, Nobody is talking about Patrick Mahomes this year, and I understand why. Like, outside of conversations about his supporting cast, I'm not so sure this guy didn't take another step this year. Like, (laughs) watching him against the Raiders. Oh, my God. I have never seen him play like that before. The the corner to – it was Kelsey, right? It was the – so I actually happened to have that. I was looking because that wasn't I wasn't out on in the game when it was happening. But I happened to be. I think the other game I was focusing on was in commercial break. And when it happened in real time, I was just. And so it wasn't even. Uh, I think they showed the end zone view later. But I was just watching it on TV. Like that's the kind of throw that will be lost to the sands of time. We'll move on. Nobody will remember this game. It's probably like one of. I mean, people hate it when you praise Mahomes who aren't, you know, cheese fans. I, it's just one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. 
I'm sorry. It just is. I, 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 the NFL account posted it and wrote how, and all of these replies were blue checks being like, stop glazing the homes. I was just like, there's never been more evidence that the, that this site is broken than people not understanding how absolutely obje- insane that throw was, you know, the throw, it was insane. Insane. And I, like he not, if he was a pirate, he knocked the parrot off his shoulder. Like that's what he did. He knocked the devil. They had the angel of the devil. He knocked the devil off the linebacker's shoulder from 30 yards away. It was, and, I mean, yeah, just, yeah. I, and the thing that annoys me the most about those replies is like, if he makes a crazy throw, like a no look throw where he like throws sidearm, everyone will be like, Oh, well, whatever. Like those throws are, they're just highlights or social media highlights, like play the quarterback, like a real person. But when he does a, a play like that in structure, that type of throw, he doesn't yeah. get credit for it still. And the thing that stood out to me the most this year is we talked a lot last year about him kind of maturing as a quarterback, like taking the check down, being more patient. I think what he's done this year is combine that style with how he played early on in his career, which is just bonkers to me. Being able to kind of find that right balance, because that's a, a balance that some of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL have had a, have had trouble finding. He's kind of speed running that. Like even like Aaron Rodgers, you can argue was a little too conservative at times and no pun intended there. You could say that on and off the field, but uh, I think like the interception rates and all that Patrick Mahomes has figured out the right balance. And I shudder to think what he's going to look like in five years. I don't know what it's going to look like. Cause I think he's as close to a perfect quarterback that I've ever seen. I feel that the NFL account was glazing. Don't listen to this podcast. Cause uh, or don't certainly don't watch it. Cause the faces I made describing that throw. Uh, yeah. They, so we talked earlier about, um, we just talked about the Packers love and the receivers stacking performances. I think what I want to see is can Rasheed Rice do it again? Like if, 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 you know, as we look ahead to the playoffs, the Super Bowl, and we start narrowing down the, the, the group of teams that are realistically competing and we start thinking about matchups and all of that. Um, it's not, how do I put this? He doesn't have to be great for this, for me to feel okay about this offense. It is. And it was really, uh, cause I was watched, I, I was clipping some of his catches. He had a bunch in the last week against the Raiders. I think, you know, he put up over hundred yards. It was like his breakout game. Right. And it is, it's such an obvious thing to say that because defenses are so dialed in on Travis Kelsey, uh, the Chiefs receivers all have like one-on-one opportunities. But oh my God, it's like watching—I don't know—I'm uh, going to make a horrible basketball analogy. Like Rasheed Rice is Andre Iguodala. Okay, I, I was going to say it's like watching Iguodala win Steph Curry and like watching the defensive gravity. Fl- I, that's not a really good one. What is yours? There was there was a game when Steph Curry was in college where he played like a local college in Maryland and their strategy was to put like four people on him and leave everybody else open and he scored like two points the team got blown out and it was a terrible it was a terrible game plan but Steph Curry only scored two points and I think like that's the kind of situation you're getting we both went to Steph Curry uh, I have told this story before I don't know if I've told it on this show I just an article about Zion Williamson and I went to South Carolina to do it. Uh, back when he was at Duke and I went to his high school and he went to like a really tiny private high school uh, that did not have a football program, which is why Zion Williamson isn't a tight end of the NFL right now, maybe. Um, But anyways, 
he, so I, the, the picture of the high school basketball team, it's very funny. And, um, I interviewed one of the, his teammates on the team who just happened to be at the school assembly, who was about my size. He was a young man. I can't remember his name. Maybe Pardeep. I don't know. He was about my size. And I was like, so what was it like when you guys were Bryce playing Young? with him? It was Bryce. Oh, <laughs> uh, and he was like, he was like, literally it was like when, you know, like, like a dad and children and all the entire defense would just be climbing on him. And it would still often be a bad decision for him to give us the basketball, even though we all had like wide open layups all the time. Anyways, I thought about that watching uh, this Raiders game, watching the just the dots are really funny to watch, too, because you could just see the Travis Kelsey attention. It's prime vision is anyway, sorry. We're going. This is the way too long of a tangent. The point is everybody all you there's so much attention paid to Travis Kelsey this year. All you need is one of these wide receivers to just make a few plays a game. I thought Rasheed Rice um all year long he has been good after the catch. That's kind of been he's good with the ball in his hands when he catches it. I thought this game in particular though, he did a bunch of things that were very would be very encouraging if you were a Chiefs fan. Um you know, he actually caught a contested target downfield. It was just a go ball and, and Mahomes trusted him. It was to his back shoulder and he went up and got it. That's big. That's big. There was a play uh, where the play broke down. Mahomes was doing Mahomes things, scrambling around. Rice recognized that. This is the Kelsey thing. He found the soft spot. He got open. That is big. Things like that. If he can continue to do things like that in this offense, because so many opportunities will be there for him, I will feel so much better about this Chiefs passing attack. I think the basketball analogy is perfect. I, they need a person that can hit an open corner three or cut when it's time to cut. And I think yeah. Rice, I think Rice just has to be a guy. I don't think Sky Moore ever became a guy. And I think that was the problem. Like when you get the ball in Sky Moore's hand, he can do nice things, but getting the ball in his hands is a problem. I think with Rice, what you're starting to see is it's not going, going to be as big of a problem. And the reason why I was never too worried about the Chiefs offense, like even after the Eagles game, even after the Lions game, when they dropped a bunch of passes, is because the bar is finding a replacement for Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. And that's not a high bar. That's not a high bar for me. That's really the thing they were missing because Juju was – he was the the guy that took advantage of Travis Kelsey's gravity. He was the man coverage option on third down. Yes. And they don't have that yet still, but I think Rice is showing he can become that. Uh, they've kind of been a weirdly inconsistent rushing attack. I think in this game, I would expect them to run the ball a fair amount on Green Bay. And – I, you know, I think Pacheco will have success doing so. It, offensively for the Chiefs, it just kind of feels like a don't shoot yourself in the foot type of matchup, frankly, which God knows that they've done that a lot this year. Defensively is actually, I find more interesting, but I find it hard to predict because I really, I, I really think Jordan Love has a chance of playing pretty well against uh, this challenging defense to go back to the beginning. He has been good against a lot of the things that they do well. I'm excited for this game. I, 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 it's, a good I game, it's a good one. Yeah. I, and again, I say that with the major caveat that Jordan love could lay a total stinker. And I want to say this, even if he does that, I will not give up on him. I, uh, I feel like, you know, it's just one step in his development. So it's the pro Jordan love podcast. All right. As always, 
wrapping up. Well, not it's been, I did it last week. My family's pick him. We pick all the games just straight up. Uh, not doing so well, Steven. I was in uh, second place right behind Sunmin Kimes when I went on maternity leave. Now my brother has jumped me, which is terrible. My mom is still in the, in the lead. I'm eight games behind her, eight wins behind her. It's doable. It's That's doable. rough. Did you just low-key blame it on the baby? I blame everything on the baby. Every yeah, time. I, I created human life. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so let's just rip through them. Dallas. Seattle. Is, uh, Dallas is favored by nine at home against Seattle. Uh, picking Dallas. But let me ask you this. Do you feel like nine is disrespectful? Is that too high? No, I don't. I don't. I think it's going to look too high, like around midway through the second quarter. But by the third quarter, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's why the line was that high. That's exactly like, I think, it. That's exactly I think Seattle it. keeps it close. And then the dam breaks. And then they scored like 30 points in a row. This offense, I, I've talked about it before, how the offensive line has quietly been bad and is a big part of why this team is so bad on third down and in the red zone, uh, this is not the pass rush you want to have a bad offensive line against. And that's not to – Geno Smith has definitely regressed over the last few weeks in particular, I've noticed. But, uh, yeah, and I don't think the Seattle pass rush will give them trouble up front. Also, Dak Prescott's, like, playing out of his mind right now. I'll get into that more in the coming weeks. Dak MVP, where are we at? That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. He's going to throw a million scene balls in this game. It's going to be insane. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, the Dolphins at Washington, they're favored by nine and a half. That's – we can skip that. Miami. Uh, we um, had – okay, so the Colts are at the Titans. They're favored by one. I think we were both leaning Indy. I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm mm-hmm. on Indy in this one. Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen in the four-man rush. Uh, the Panthers are at Tampa Bay. Tampa's only, <laughs> only favored by five and a half. Could we get the, uh, Frank Reich bounce back game? You know, the dead cat bounce sometimes. I, I don't like betting against teams that have just fired a coach. I will say that I genuinely, I I'm taking Tampa, but I don't like it. I don't like doing that. Don't take Tampa. Don't, don't fall for that. Uh, Todd Bowles going up against Bryce Young, that's that's a concerning matchup for me. Because like I think a Todd Bowles defense against a quarterback that can kind of be bullied a little bit is a mismatch usually. And I, I think Tampa Bay's roster is a lot better than Carolina's. I think their coaching staff is a lot better. I just think they're a better team. I think it's going to be a blowout. The Tampa Bay wide receivers compared to the Carolina wide receivers. <laughs> it's ugly. It's ugly. Uh, okay, this one's hard, in my opinion. Or it, no, it's not. Atlanta. Is- I don't like picking Atlanta games this year. I don't like picking any NFC South games, unless it's the Panthers. Um, I guess they're sticking with Tim Boyle. Last I checked, what did Trevor Simeon do to these people? He was fine. I, I like Trevor Simeon. He makes <laughs> throws. Not- He's a competent NFL backup. Like, he's not good, but... No, no, he's not good. He's not Tim Boyle, though. Like, why is Tim Boyle playing? He's... I've ranked a lot of bad quarterbacks over the last two years. He is by far the... I, I didn't know what to write. Do I you really have him last? did not know what to write. 
Is yeah, he your last? Of course, he's last. Who's who's, who's right above him? Uh, Tommy DeVito. Wow, are Giants fans mad at you right now? Why would they be mad? Are they are there, they high on him? I've, I haven't. Yeah, there seems to be some kind of DeVito. I don't know. No, I'm not, not, I'm, not I'm not engaging. Okay. Uh the, the Cardinals travel to Pittsburgh. The seven and four Steelers are favored by five and a half points. Uh I'm gonna take Pittsburgh in this one. Arizona, it's funny because Kyler came back and it was like kind of briefly exciting, and then it was like, all right, they're a horrible football team. It's sad again. It's it's already sad again. Yeah, I would take Pittsburgh in this one. Very bad team. Uh you ready for the Steelers in the playoffs? <sighs> Yeah, I mean they've made it like haven't they made it like three of the past five years? Yeah, this is such a weird play. They play here. the Chiefs like every time and just get blown out. And I don't know. I feel like we're destined for that again. The uh, Lions are at New Orleans. They are favored by four. Feels about right. Detroit. Oh, I'm chalk so far. I'm gonna need an uh, upset. I can't beat Sunman Kimes going chalk. <laughs> we don't really need, I mean, do you, do you want to talk about that one here? Let me ask you one question. Do where do you have, would you, would you play? Some fans got mad at me when I uh, did my, I have a bit where I just whispered. I used to say Jameis whenever Drew Brees would like not throw the ball downfield. And um, I brought the bit back for Derek Carr recently. And uh, I got a little bit of blowback because it's like, well, James, he turned a couple boneheaded turnovers in Carr's relief. But Carr's turning the ball over. At least James is pushing the ball downfield. I don't know. I, if I was a Saints fan, I would, ju- I would just want to watch James instead of Carr. Like, it's just boring watching this team. I haven't watched much of the Saints since just because I don't want to watch Derek Carr. Like, I watched last week's game. I think the funniest part of that was when he threw the interception to Jesse Bates because Jesse Bates kind of went outside of his assignment to intercept that. And I know it just like rocked Derek Carr's world because he's like, he's not supposed to do that. That's not where he's supposed to be. And Derek Carr is really like a by the book quarterback. So I know that just broke him mentally. Put James uh, in there. Brief, pro- brief thing I want to – Jesse Bates is awesome, dude. Like often those big free agent signings don't work out. That one's with out. safeties, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Certainly, when I saw that contract, I was like, "Whoa, that's, that's a lot for a safety." He's been fantastic, obviously. Um, okay, Chargers go to New England. They're favored by six. They're four and seven. They will win this football game. We don't really need to get into it. Uh, we don't know who's playing quarterback for New England. I think I saw a report today that said Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham were both. Or like one and two, maybe or something. It might be fake newsing people. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be Mac Jones, so maybe Malik Cunningham. That's that's a little interesting to me. But I'm with you. I think the Chargers win this. They have to win this, right? Uh, I floated Justin Fields to New England earlier this week. I like it. I like it. Justin Fields, I, Marvin Harrison Jr. with their Mike McDonald, New Belichick, <laughs> New Belichick. <laughs> Uh, his his eyes are too kind. Harbaugh, everyone, Harbaugh is the ultimate kind eyes guy. Every time I see him, I think that. Um, okay. The oh, did we make a pick, Broncos Texans? We didn't. That's a tough one. I don't think so. I'm taking the Texans. I think the Texans win this one. Uh, Both six and five. Quarterback. It's the quarterback thing. I think I trust him on third down more than I trust Russ. I'll take the Texans too. Okay, Niners Eagles. 
Uh, I am going to go with the Niners here. Yeah, I support that. I think they run the ball better. I think they stopped the run better than they did last year. And I think this is the time when we see like the Eagles finally lose one of these games that they should have yeah, lost. Yeah, that, that is it with me. I mean, they're, I, th- I think I saw somewhere like, uh, they have the worst point differential ever of a 10 and one team. I think stats and info posted this somewhere. That was a little bit alarming. Uh, I do. I have, however, on multiple platforms, including this one gone with the Eagles with just win baby, uh, which I don't feel great about. I feel I mean, like sometimes I, you gotta just, you just got to ride the wave at, at some point. I like I stopped picking against the Bengals last year at a certain point. Cause they just the, win every time. Well, the, and the, the, I think the Bengals and the Eagles are actually kind of similar in that they just have really freaking good players. Like, Sometimes, you know, like if you just have like an A.J. Brown game or a Hassan Reddick game or Jalen Hurts calls game, they just have guys who can call game. And the the Bengals in the same way in that they like, it's not like a super complicated offense. They just have guys who call game. And I think the Eagles have that quality. Jake Elliott calls game. Okay, uh, I'm taking the Rams. Oh, it's all favorites over the Browns. We already talked about that. Uh, I am going to take the Chiefs over the Packers. And then the Jags over the Bengals. Uh, wow, that's Monday night. Jake Browning. Can I say something that I I kind of like Jake Browning. Don't do I kind of liked him. I, he... I watched his film. I watched his film this year or from this year. And okay, I will say he has looked better than I thought he would. Um, I'm a Huskies fan. If you don't know, um, he threw probably three passes that should have been intercepted last week. They had like two tip picks that landed directly in the hands of Bagel's receivers. It, it was actually kind of, if I was a Steelers fan, I would have been so furious watching that. Um, he has looked like a, a totally competent backup. I will say that. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do think, and that has surpassed. I thought I didn't think he would, you know, he doesn't have the strongest arm. If the Bengals really want to win me back, they got to let him punt. You remember when he used to punt in college? He used to do these like, oh, little he pitch punts. Yeah. Like he, he third, would do, they would do a quick yeah. kick, like on third down. No, he would just do oh, like little pooch punts for them because he was good at it. These like little short punts. I would enjoy I'm that. I'm surprised Belichick didn't draft him because that seems like right up his alley. It's the new like Dario Gumbwale can kick field goals for you. Get a quarterback who can be your backup <laughs> punter. Save a rush spot. All right. That's it for this week. Um, Steven. Oh, God. All favorites. I'll change one of them at the last second out of desperation. Take the Browns. Joe Flacco. That might be the one I go with, actually. I don't hate that. Um, Steven Ruiz, you can catch, uh, on multiple platforms, the ringers quarterback rankings, the ringer NFL shows, uh, run L show. You are the Steven Ruiz on Twitter, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, and we will potentially resurface this Brock Purdy apology form, depending on what happens on Sunday. So you have something to root for if you're in the audience now. Mail it to me. I will sign it. I will record myself signing it. We will do a follow-up, Niners fans. Uh, yeah, we're going to keep that in mind. As always, thank you to the fine producers at Omaha of this podcast, Kristen Sobiecki, uh, along with Anthony Jimenez and Owen Saylor. Thanks for your help this week. And we will see you on Tuesday. 